You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. On today's Viva Learning Podcast, we'll be discussing the state of dental marketing. With us today is Dr. Todd Snyder, a popular speaker on VivaLearning.com, presenting at least 10 webinars over the past few years. Dr. Snyder is a cosmetic dentist, author, international lecturer, researcher, and instructor at various teaching facilities. Dr. Snyder, thanks for joining us today on Dental Talk. Phil, thanks for having me here. Yeah, we're really happy to have you, actually. Um, So as dentists, we do more than just the clinical dentistry. We also run a business, and every business needs to market itself. So tell us what you think is the biggest or most significant area that general dentists compete in in today's market. Well, you know, it's funny. It, it's a it's a very important question to bring up. And, you know, I think many dentists are going after new patients being the first. But more specifically, I think people are looking more into implants or cosmetic dentistry um, and sleep apnea. You know, so areas that maybe they can get a higher reimbursement or it's elective people that are willing to pay. And so the whole aspect of this, in my mind, is we're looking for more dollars mm-hmm. um, and yet looking for more dollars and freedom from insurance. And yet they want new patients. And usually with new patients, we're looking at things like different types of mailers or coupons or promotions, things that try to entice someone to come to that specific office. And we can go into greater details as far as what that is. Mm-hmm. But the competition, for the most part, is everyone wants patience, and everyone's trying to hit up implants, cosmetic, and sleep apnea at this point. In my mind, those are the big ones that people are going after because there's more financial revenue available. So a dental practice not only has to market the practice, as you say, in those dental disciplines, um, how does a dentist differentiate himself or herself from the other dentists in the area? Well, and that's the part where I think most dentists are having some issues. You know, you think of many companies out, there's many companies in any industry. And so if you think of car industry, you've got everything from Hyundai to Kia to Honda to Mercedes and BMW to, you know, high-end Ferrari and Lamborghini. You have different price points and they all have a different type of brand that all of us are aware of. Mm -hmm. And I think dentists don't have the ability or haven't thought of the ability how to delineate themselves as being uniquely different in their market. So patients are very confused seeing a dentist is a dentist and everyone offers the same thing and everyone claims to be a cosmetic dentist and everyone's offering everything in their practice. And so it confuses them. So the only result basically out of this is for the patient to ask, all right, who's cheapest or who takes my insurance, which is not the type of person you want shopping for you. Mm-hmm. And yet that's probably 99% of what's being done out there these days. Well, I mean, I understand the part about insurance, because if somebody's employed by somebody and they have insurance that provides dental care, why go to a dentist that doesn't accept it if that's that's what their employer offers? Where it used to be that when you had an insurance that was subsidized by your employer, you had gotten a card that had all your information on it. You had gotten a list, literally a pamphlet that would show you everyone that is in your network. Mm -hmm. And so people would go through that list, that booklet to find someone. And then once they found someone, they make a call. Well, due to constraints, you know, from insurance companies wanting to make more money from us all, they don't give people cards typically anymore. They don't give out an expensive, you know, a pamphlet that has to be mailed. And they, at one point were having websites where you could find it. Many of them have gone away from that. So, 
now it's such that the patient is now having to search for someone. And once they found someone they think they want to go to, then the proverbial question is, do you take my insurance? And that I think everyone will agree to get that call all the time. And so you can choose to either be in a network or be out of a network. And we can talk more into that. Mm -hmm. But patients don't perceive anything as being different. And yet, you know, if you think of a haircut, you know, I'm sure the ladies spend a lot of money on their haircut. They're not going to Fantastic Sam's. uh, There's a price point different and a perceived difference in the type of cut you get. That perception in dentistry is not there as much as it used to be. Unless someone has been burned or had a problem, they just assume a dentist is a dentist. They're all trained. They can all do the same thing. And I'm generalizing this, but that is a pretty big consensus out there nowadays. Unless someone has had an issue and thinks differently and is now starting to question more when they're going to go see a new dentist. Yeah, no, that's totally, totally makes sense. If everything's been going well all their life with dentists and they've gone to a bunch of different dentists, then I absolutely agree with you. They think it's kind of a homogenized profession. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't know that the dental insurance companies don't provide that information to the patient. They make it difficult for the patient to find out who's in the network. Is that just to discourage the, den- the, the patient from seeing a dentist? What's the reason for that? You know, I couldn't, I can't speak to why an insurance company does what they do because we could sit there all day and talk about that one. But, you know, it, it certainly could be. You know, obviously they deny claims. They claim that they don't get stuff. And yet nowadays you can send a claim electronically and show they received it. And yet they'll claim they didn't. The same as paper ones used to get thrown in the trash and you have to resubmit. So it, you know, if the dentist or the patient isn't following up, then claims don't have to be paid. So could it be that they're going, well, gee, if we don't send them any information, maybe they'll just forget and not go this year and we'll pocket all their money. Unbelievable. Sounds horrible, but that could be true. Yeah. That's one plausible answer. But I think the other plausible one is saying, okay, well, you can think of what United Airlines cut out olives out of their salads and saved, I forget how many millions per year by just cutting out a couple olives right. uh, from each salad. So maybe they're cutting out the paper so that they're saving dramatically on that cost of printing and shipping it to people. I don't know. Yeah, there was one there was one airline that actually removed the magazine that's in the the little pocket that's in front of you, the the back of the seat. That's <laughs> they, they removed the magazine because they actually calculated the amount of fuel they would save based on the reduction in weight. That's mind boggling. Yeah, that's that's mind boggling. But also you got to think of it as a business mindset of both, you know, dropping the olives and dropping the paper is think of how refined that company is to look for these tiny details and then think of a dentist and how we just kind of hang a shingle and put a website up and people come to us and we can do all right. But can you imagine if we ran it more tight, like that type of business, how more profitable we could be if we looked at it in a different fashion and actually had some business training and things to look at? Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be very interesting. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've been out of dental school a long time. I graduated endo school in 85. um, So I'm saying my age now, but uh, you know, I thought, this would be rectified by now because when I was in dental school and postdoc school, we had no training in practice management and everybody knew it and we talked about it. And that was a long time ago. And you're saying that's the same situation now. Um, young doctors are getting out of dental school without any understanding of how to run a business. It's my understanding that it's still that way in most schools. I can't say for all of them, but I know for many schools that the criteria that that you have to teach to at a university is labeled number one nationally, but also at the state level. So every school has to make sure their students are competent to those levels. Now, nowhere from the state or national level is there any mandate on running a business. Hence, that is left out of the curriculum because that's not a requirement to get someone 
a degree and graduate to be able to go out and practice. So most schools tend to leave that part out or it's a very small class the last year while everyone's trying to graduate and is not paying attention. You know, so there is that aspect. And I think it'd be great. And many dentists, I think, agree that it'd be nice to have some type of business aspect of training built into dental school, or yeah. at least as an elective or after hours thing. Yeah. And do you, do you realize there's only two dental schools in the country that that actually teach lasers? They don't, the lasers are not in the curriculum other than two dental schools. And I asked Scott Benjamin, who's a, who did a couple of podcasts with us on um, lasers. They're very good, actually. And he said, and I asked him why. And he goes, well, the only reason why I could think of is that they have no room in their curriculum. It's packed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's exactly. Yeah. There's just no room in the curriculum for you have a certain amount of time. You're there and this is what we could teach you. And. You know, nobody wants to go to a fifth year. So, yeah, um, well, and also, the, you know, disruption of the existing flow of the of the university is not liked by many people in universities. Hence, you know, you look at ceramic veneers, inlays and onlays and, you know, more elective procedures. A lot of that is not in the curriculums or if it is, it's a small component or an elective. Mm -hmm. It's not taught as heavily as well as sleep apnea and other you know, TMJ. There's a lot of stuff that's left out because that's not mandated to be able to practice in dentistry. Yeah, so even though that they're adding more and more of that, you know, it's amazing how much is absent. Yeah. Yeah. The dental schools haven't caught up with what's going on. So, um, Sadly. so how does a dental practice market itself now? The corner dentist, what, what does he or she do on a regular basis? I mean, other than, you know, like you said, send out cards, which is a little bit outdated. They have the technological advancements of some of these recall systems and so forth. Can you talk a little, a little bit about that? Definitely. Yeah. You know, it depends on where you practice. Obviously, if you're in, you know, a rural area, then hey, you know, newspaper ads, magazine ads, flyers, mailers, that may still work in some areas. I've heard people say they do great with those. But you look at larger metropolitan areas, and everyone gets so much junk mail that that doesn't fly for most of us in, in larger areas. There's always exceptions, obviously, depending on what your niche is, who you're going after. Um, but definitely technology has made life easier. Where it used to be $1,000 for a yellow page ad and to run all these different promotions on paper goods, now the Internet has made it such that you really don't have to go and print things and send things out traditionally. So obviously, number one, having a responsive website is important. Uh, it was two years ago or three years ago now that you know responsive website was in Google's analytics that ha that had to be present. Right. Then they made it such that you had to be mobile friendly uh, and more optimized for mobile. And if you're not, they will rank you down. The one that came out this year in uh, they announced it in January and February. I think it went to an implementation in July. Was that you now your website now has to be secure. And fast. Those are the right. two main things they're going after. So if your website's a year or two old, more than likely someone has not updated these aspects that make Google feel that you're important. So instantly Google sees you as not important. You fall down the rankings a little bit. Yeah. Actually, so that's uh, one place. Yeah. For those listeners out there who are a little bit not sure of what um, Dr. Snyder is referring to as a responsive website, and as far as I understand it, a responsive website is a website that will adapt agnostically to a mobile device. So it doesn't really matter what device you're going on. It could be an iPad. It could be a tablet. It could be a Android phone like Samsung or an iOS phone like iPhone. But when you go to the yeah. website, it'll detect where you're coming in from and readjust its layout. And, and although it's not typically a native app, 
I think Dr. Snyder is referring to a responsive site where it, it responds to the device. And that's what Google is putting into their um, algorithms now for ranking sites. So that's important. And then the other good point you made was the security aspect of it. And just so our listeners know, because some of them do, some of them don't, he's talking about the HTTPS part of your website. So if it doesn't have that S at the end, it's not secure. And you need to get a, certif a certificate of security. And I guess your uh, hosting provider can help you with that. Is that right, Dr. Scott? Right. Yeah. yeah. So both of those are extremely important. If you do not have those, instantly Google sees you as not being complete. Mm -hmm. um, and some websites, they seem responsive, but they're not. They have what they call page breaks, meaning it has like, say, six sizes it'll render, and it only renders up those six sizes. So that's not truly responsive. Responsive means I don't care what size device is on the planet from the jumbotron to a watch on your arm. It will conform to any size you throw at it. That is truly responsive. Right. So the website's important. And then what about maintaining your reputation on the, on the web? A lot of ways to do that. I would say, you know, obviously having a product in your practice that basically allows people to review you while they're there in your practice or an automated system that sends something to them as they're leaving, such that they're putting out good responses or good reviews all over the Internet. Because the only way to fight off a bad review is to have plenty of good reviews. Right. Bad reviews are obviously going to happen to all of us at some point. Uh, so if you've got a bunch of good ones to offset that, that's obviously advantageous. Mm-hmm. Could you recommend any good companies to work with regarding the automation of you that? Know, there's a lot of companies out there that do this same function. My mm -hmm. personal favorite is Weave. Mm -hmm. um, they're out of Utah. And the reason I like them is they're a voice over IP telephone, which gets rid of your existing landline phone and goes over the Internet. So you're saving money. Mm -hmm. But also it does automated you know, information to clients, patients, mm -hmm. as well as the ability to collect money and do blogs and so many different things, but also the ability to capture reviews, to monitor reviews, and uh, so much more. So it's got more than just one thing. And so mm -hmm. there are plenty of companies that offer that one aspect to be able to write reviews and follow reviews. But this company has taken it to the nth degree of saying, we have everything that everyone else has, but we're going to put it in one package. And basically the package costs the same as, for the most part, your existing phone system. So it's really an offset in price. A lot of these um, listeners out there have dental dealers that they buy through, you know, like mm -hmm. Shine, Patterson, Banco, and so forth. Do the dealers sell a mix of products that would um, provide those services? You know, more of them are starting to get into that game. Either they're bringing out their own product, or, or a lot of times they will bring out a product that they purchased or acquired or white-labeled, as they call it, that mm -hmm. they've brought into their, you know, kind of under their umbrella to offer to people. So I'm seeing more of that happening, but they're a little slower to get there because many other companies focus on just that one item versus big companies are focusing on many different aspects. So it takes them longer to get things going and to, you know, continue to stay abreast of changes in technology. I did want to ask you a couple of questions about DSOs. What is your main concern for the large uh, dental support organizations that are growing right now? You know, I, great that they're growing. I see them as a wonderful thing to be out there. And people are probably going, wait, what? Right. Um, and, and here's why, because they're going to continue to grow because they've got Wall Street big backing behind them. And students come out of school feeling they have to go work in these places because they feel their debt is too high or to go out and do something on their own. And that's just the mindset. I think it's the wrong mindset. But nonetheless, it's going to continue to grow. And you see in the magazines all this doom and gloom, like the end of the private practitioner, and you're going to have to assimilate. And 
I would say it's the opposite. I love the DSOs because I got plenty of patients that have been there that that's not the model they want. Mm -hmm. And because I am uniquely different, they're thriving to me. Right. And so it's driving business. So I like it because wow. I position that's, myself. That's a very interesting uh, approach to DSOs. But the numbers are a little concerning in the fact that I think 16 to 18% of new dentists coming out now are going to DSOs. And the projection is in the next five to seven years, they're looking at closer to 30 to 35%. Now, the question is, do they stay in DSOs their whole career or do they break away and go into their own practice or join another practice. But um, that's an interesting concept there, Dr. Snyder, that you're using that as a kind of a springboard to get them into your practice. Exactly. Yeah. And we could talk about this to great details as well, as far as how long people stay at DSOs, who doesn't, where patients come from. I mean, so that'd be another fun episode to tie in together yeah. in the future as well. Yeah. And that's really good information. So my last question is, before we wrap up this podcast, is what do you think dentistry yeah. will be like in the future? And give us that in like a paragraph if possible. That's a tough one. Yeah. Well, as I stated, I think DSOs are going to get bigger. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to find that dentists are going to have a tough time being solo practitioners as it's being stated in the magazines. And I think the reason for that is because many of them have not positioned themselves in a fashion to thrive. The niche they've chosen to be in is the niche that the DSOs are in. Most dentists, and I'm generalizing, basically are going for price point. How can I get patients to come to me? I will lower my price point. If the majority of dentists are all pricing themselves as low as possible or free to entry into their business, and DSOs basically have the buying power and leverage and money to do kind of the same, then the DSOs will typically win because they have more financial backing and they're bigger to train and do things that a private practitioner cannot. So if private practitioners don't start to recognize they need to run their business differently or they may have some severe problems, that will be the biggest thing I see in the future as far as what's going to happen to dentists in private practice. So more and more DSOs will maybe be assuming more of these private practitioners that didn't think ahead of time and they waited till the last minute. Right. So that's where I see things going as far as the industry. Mm -hmm. No, that's very good. Very, very good. Um, and that was tough to do in two paragraphs. So if you want to get more information from Dr. Snyder, legionpride.com is the website. That's L-E-G-I-O-N, pride, P-R-I-D-E.com, legionpride.com. Um, please feel free to visit the website. And uh, hopefully it's responsive, right, Dr. Snyder? Hopefully it's responsive. <laughs> um, <laughs> practice what you preach, right? Um, so he'll be available for information uh, if you need to reach him through that website. And Dr. Snyder, thanks so much for being with us. And we're looking forward to having you on future podcasts. Thanks, Phil. That was a lot of fun. <laughs>